Now, adjust the volume control so that the sound can be heard in all parts of the room. This is the Protect Your Assets Podcast. Mr. Sandman. You get the idea? Bring me a dream. It's on the internet. Make him the cutest that I've ever seen. Go on. Give him two lips like roses and clover. It's a great program. And tell him that his lonesome nights are over, Sandman. What is it? It's exactly what I need. It's a slam dunk. It's great. It's like no cheese I've ever tasted. Turn on your magic beat. Here he comes. Here's David Hollander. What's the most important thing in your life? It's your family, right? And if you don't have the right or up-to-date estate planning documents in place, if something happens to you, you're going to create a real mess for them. Because of COVID, the probate courts right now are all backed up and it's taking over two and a half years to get your affairs approved by a judge. So don't do this to your spouse or your kids. Today, I'm going to explain to you in simple terms, is a trust right for you? And what are five estate planning myths that you probably believe, which just aren't true? Good morning and welcome to Protect Your Assets. I am David Hollander. You hear the jingle, they call me the Sandman around here. And that's because I help my clients answer their most troubled legal or financial questions. So this all started this past week. I sat down with Ken and Susan. Now they have two boys. Ken's a retired engineer and has managed to accumulate a little over 13 million in retirement accounts and real estate. And with the prices of real estate right now, particularly in the Bay Area, when you start to add these numbers up, they add up quite quickly. And on top of that, he had a uh, life insurance policy that years ago he set up with an attorney and uh, asked some questions and it comes to, comes to find out that he's essentially destroyed that and now it's part of this $13 million number I'm giving you. So they both told me right up front that their main goal was to pass as much of their assets as they could to their children when, they, when they're both gone. And they were very concerned about the tax law changes that are coming, we all know this, because of all the massive amount of stimulus that the government has printed, that they're gonna have to raise taxes, and estate taxes are right in the crosshairs. So they brought with them their estate plan into the office, those big binders, you know, those big patty binders with all those inserts in them, and hundreds of pages of documents and I was thrilled that they had a plan that included their house, their cars, their retirement accounts. But after I reviewed it with them, it turned out that it was a real mess. In fact, they were looking at some serious taxes and penalties by the IRS and a long and expensive probate because their documents were so outdated and missed some pretty fundamental pieces that have come to play in the last few years. And that got me thinking about today's show. The bottom line is this couple was only trying to help their kids, but in reality, because so much time had passed since they spoke to their attorney, who by the way, retired recently, what they did is create a real mess for their kids and their grandkids. And they don't want to do that to their children. So for the next 60 minutes, I'm gonna show you some simple strategies that they're wealthier using to get wealthier paying less in taxes, passing more of what they've worked so hard for, 
and avoiding courts and, yeah, attorneys. This is important stuff, and you need to listen very carefully and take notes, as this could literally save you millions of dollars. So let's get started. So the markets managed to squeak out a little bit of a gain this week. We saw the Dow up 0.2%, S&P up 0.4%, NASDAQ also up 0.4%. 10-year Treasury, well, that was uh, down to 1.25 at the low this week. We settled in at 1.36, so slightly off of last week's close, but still the direction on the 10-year moving down got a lot of people talking about what's coming next, so I'll get into that here in a minute. Oil. Oil dropped a little bit, still very fair price, $74.68 a barrel. So pretty strong overall. So people are asking me this week, so what's going to happen in this market? You know, we're hitting all-time highs right now. It just feels like it's going to pull back. It's summertime. Everybody kind of takes it easy a little bit. What's going on here with the market? So, you know, we look at this every week, every day. It's what we do. The, the four pillars, as I call them, of the rally are still intact. And what those are, of course, is the stimulus that, that's been flowing. Uh, you know, we have infrastructure potentially coming here in the, in the future. We've got low interest rates. We've got uh, an economy that's opening up. And we've got essentially COVID that's falling away. But people ask me, do you see a pullback coming? Do you think it's going to be greater than 10%, this, this correction that's, that's looming out there? Well, I don't think so, and here's why. Stocks have powered higher the first half of this year by a lot of positives. Let's think about it. First of all, the pandemic is basically ending, at least for most of the developed world. Another trillion dollars in stimulus came through. You had explosive corporate earnings this last quarter, and you got the Fed, who's still pretty dovish, and when you look at the other ones around the world, they are as well. So all of these factors are essentially one-time hits. And I don't think they're gonna be repeated in the manner we just saw in the next six months. So over the next six months, markets will need to negotiate these issues that are gonna be coming. First, will corporate margins compress? And that'll be as a result of inflation. And will that actually hurt earnings to the companies? We just don't know yet. We'll have to see. We'll get more insight into this starting in the next couple of weeks. So we will be paying attention to that and seeing what's going on here with the second half of earnings as that season begins. The next thing you need to look out for is are markets going to have to deal with negative tax headlines? This is what I find fascinating. The first half of 21 contained nothing but positive information as normal from Washington, i.e. more stimulus, more spending. But what about the second half? It's always about the second half, right? In any football game you watch, or baseball for that matter, basketball. But the second half is going to be centered around what? I think infrastructure, like I said. I think tax hikes. I think they're coming. I think the easiest one is obviously estate tax. And, and you know, because it's what they've been talking about, that they're going to hit the corporation tax and the wealthy tax. And the wealthy tax translates to estate tax. And that's why we're going to be talking about that in detail today. Third, when does the Fed taper? When do they have to start raising interest rates? Well, in contrast to this first half of the year, where until last month, most of the conversation from the Fed centered on the support for the economy. The next six months are going to be dominated by their tapering timeline. And if the Fed has to taper sooner than expected, the markets will pull back. It's just that simple. 
Now, inflation, this keeps popping up. Inflation spiked, as we know, in this first half. And it's easy to dismiss it as temporary, which is what everybody's saying right now. But I don't know about that. The next six months is going to be a prove-it period because if inflation starts to remain at the levels that it is now or even goes higher, the temporary excuse that we've been hearing, well, it didn't really work. So that means it's more permanent. And that's a problem. And COVID is essentially over from the mindset of U.S. investors, but there's only one way for the headlines to go from here, if you think about it, because it's all been positive, which is what? Negative, of course, because if you look at the data, it doesn't look like any variants, including the Delta, are having a material threat to the economy opening up. But that's not going to stop policymakers in particular states, as we know, from implementing lockdowns just as an abundance of caution so it doesn't spread and take down the rest of the market. So I think the second half of 21 could be potentially negative when you look at the COVID risk that's out there, especially with the low vaccination rates. In some of the states, look, California's doing a great job, so I'm not talking about us, but you know who I'm talking about. Bottom line, we remain constructive. I'm still constructive on stocks overall, all right, and inflation-linked assets. What are those? Well, I do think it's prudent for you right now to look at your portfolio and to take some profits in areas that could get into trouble. What am I talking about? Well, if volatility does start to pick up, here's the S&P 500. Let's just focus on that. I think the top for the S&P 500, for those of you looking at that, 4,500 this year. I think that the next uh, support area, in other words, if it starts to pull back, where are we going? 39.30 to 39.75. How do you like that? That little zone there. And if we slip through 39.30, then the next support level is 37.15. And if we slip below that, which I don't think we will, but if we do, just know the big support level is at 3,400. Okay, so what it means technically is if we were to break any of those support levels, the next support level is is where it goes. And if it breaks that, then you've got some problems. So that's what we look for. You should be looking out for that if you're in that sector. And uh, overall, I saw this past week what's known as the job opening report, the JOLTS report. And that hit a new record, uh, which is pretty positive, 9.2 million, which uh, underscores that there really is no shortage of employment opportunities right now that are out there. There's just a shortage of people willing to go back to work. And the number of people who quit their jobs uh, fell to 3.57 million. So that's still a very high level. And if you look at the ratio of people who are unemployed to job openings that are out there, it's basically one-to-one, -one, meaning that there's a job available for every unemployed individual in the U.S. right now. So for context, when we came out of the great financial crisis, it took eight years, eight years for the ratio to get to one-to-one. -one. And if you look at what just happened, it took 13 months. So this has been an incredible return to normal. It's historic, frankly. And people are still eager to get back to work, as we know. And that is good for markets. But we have to see. It's prove it now. It's prove it time. So I continue to believe that higher inflation is going to support commodities. It's going to push yields higher on the bonds that we've been talking about, which, again, you want to be careful on your longer maturity bonds. And I also think that cyclical stocks and value are going to outperform. 
So look at allocations to financials, materials, commodities, industrials, consumer discretionary. And that reminds me, this next week, the data that you have to pay attention to, again, is going to be the consumer price index. That's the consumer uh, information that we look at to see if there is any rising inflation getting out of control. And also retail sales growth. You know, let's face it, the consumer has a big impact on the U.S. market, and we need to see that continue to open up. So what documents do you need in an estate plan? I think you're going to find this fascinating because a lot of people have these big, thick binders and a lot of that documentation in there they just don't really need, and they don't even know what it is. So when we come back, we're going to dig into it a little bit. We're going to talk about a couple stories that happened to people that we talk to on a regular basis, and I don't want this to happen to you. You're listening to The Sandman on the Protect Your Assets radio network. We'll be right back. Now you can hear the show Protect Your Assets hands-free anytime on your smart speaker or Android device. Just say, hey, Google, ask Protect Your Assets to play the latest podcast. Learn more at libertygroupllc.com slash voice. Now back to Protect Your Assets with David Hollander, the Sandman. Welcome back. I'm David Hollander, also known as the Sandman. And you're listening to Protect Your Assets this morning. And if you've just tuned in, well, this show is dedicated to Ken and Susan, who came in this week. They had a big trust binder. They thought everything was in order. And guess what? It wasn't. So I'm answering the question this morning. Is a trust right for you? And what are five estate planning myths that you probably believe? So let's start with some basics, shall we? Before you really know what type of estate plan you need, you need to do a little inventory. So we do have a sheet that we can send you that helps you get on this path, but you need to list things down like your retirement accounts, any business interests that you may control, your real estate certainly, if you have rental properties or primary residence, apartment buildings, storage facilities, things like that. Life insurance policy, this was a big one for Ken. Now Ken and Susan had purchased this life insurance policy through their attorney and uh, insurance agent maybe 15 years ago, had set up a special type of trust to own the policy, had very detailed instructions about how to fund this. And guess what, Ken knew better, and so in the last five or six years, he's been completely unwinding that process. So we have a problem now, and, and that needs to be fixed. So cars, things like that, you need to take an inventory. So lay all those things out, add up a number, and then that's going to dictate generally what type of documents you're going to need. So let's walk through some of the basic documents that really should make up any estate plan. So if you have a binder, you may want to pull it out right now. If you're driving, well, you can pull over and make some notes here. But there's a lot of documents in there you just don't need. I see this a lot where you, you know, you've got that 399 trust and that's $399, believe it or not. And uh, there's a lot of stuff in there that actually creates a mess. It doesn't help you. It may look like more is better, but not in this case. So here's what we, here's what you need. You and your spouse, you each should have your own will. Now, these wills need to be witnessed by two independent, non-interested persons. You love that? That's the legal definition. What does that mean? It means that they're not getting anything. So they shouldn't get any money or assets from that document or any document that they would witness. So I always love neighbors. Go next door, knock on the door. Hey, can you sign this for me? What is it? It's my will. I want to give everything to my kids. Okay. Boom, boom, boom. Sign their name. That's legal. That's fine. 
But I want to tell you about what happened again this past week. That's why this subject is so hot right now in my mind, is I had a friend call me. He texted me. He says, hey, hey Dave, I know you guys do this stuff. I just had a friend, 42-year-old dad, who passed away from cancer last week. Tragic. And this fellow worked for a, a big company, um, had a house, had, had a wife, had children, uh, and had no will or no trust, had nothing. And he knew about this diagnosis. And, of course, the family was dealing with that. It's never easy. This stuff is not easy. But he was dealing with that. And my friend said to him, you need to do a will. And my friend's not a lawyer. He just said, let me help you construct a holographic will. Now, I happened to go through that will after the fact because he just called me and said, hey, I think you do this. Yes, I do. Um, there's no executor in the will. And there's some other problems. And that's the problem. So, you know, I don't know what to say. I mean, some people just don't like to pick up the phone and call an attorney. I don't know what it is. And even when you do, you get overwhelmed by this process. So let's step back. Let's take a deep breath, shall we? <sighs> okay. And let's make this easy because it doesn't have to be that hard. And in fact, I just want you to have some documents that really helps your family do what is you want them to do, which is not to have any problems. So the next document that you could need, and I'll discuss this a little bit later as well as what type it is, is a trust. Most people only need what's known as a revocable living trust. In our business, we call it an RLT. That is a document that you can change. So even though you sign it, I've seen so much hand wringing over this. I don't know who my trustee is going to be. I think it's this person, that person. I just can't make my mind. You know what? Just put somebody down, sign the document, and you're done. And you know what? If you change your mind in five weeks or two years or ten years, you know what? It's a revocable document. You can change it. You're not stuck with this forever. Okay. So think about that. Think about a revocable living trust as opposed to any other, other types. There's so many different types of trusts. And depending on your assets, you may need one. You may need a special one. And hopefully you're talking to an attorney who's educated in this, who's been doing this for almost 30 years like we have. And actually, Gary, who you've heard, has been doing this for over 40 years on our staff. But anyway, um, know that if you have a trust, a normal trust, a revocable living trust, you're not protected from creditors. I, hear this, I heard it this week from Ken and Susan. I'm protected from creditors. No, you're not. A revocable document is not protection from creditors. The only thing it does, which is important, is keep your family out of probate. That's all it does. And it also keeps all of your family laundry out of the public record because you know what a lot of people do when you die and you file your will, or if you don't have a will, and your stuff is administered through court. By the way, you pay the same fee. Whether or not you hire us or, or the court appoints an attorney to you, the, the fees in California, the probate fees are all in statute. We can't make any more, any less than anybody else. So. Don't feel that just by hiring one a lawyer that you like that, you know, that, that person's maybe charging you more than somebody else. It doesn't work that way in probate. It's all the same. So know that and know that when you go through probate, all of your stuff is aired publicly. And there are people out there who weekly go to court, pull up those files and read about you, read about your stuff, read about what you had. And then guess what they do? They prey on your kids or on your spouse. That's what they do. That's their job. So that's out there. So avoid probate. Don't do that. Get out of there. 
Okay, and the way you do that again is with a trust. Trusts can be good, but not everybody needs a trust. Next, what else do you need in your in your binder there? You need a durable power of attorney. Now, there's a couple types of these. There's something called a general, which is better than nothing, but it's not much better than nothing. There's a very detailed durable power of financial attorney that we do that I've been working on for 30 years. So it has all of our proprietary secrets in it, which is a great document. And then there's also something called a durable power of attorney for healthcare. And that's, that's the, the pull the plug, or that's the one if you want to be at home getting your long-term care as opposed to a facility. I heard that one this week. I'm not going to a facility. Well, okay. Did you, did you put that in writing? What happens if you wake up one day and you have dementia and you don't know what color it is or uh, what, who the present is or what tomorrow is? These things can happen just overnight. I've seen it so many times. Guess what then? And guess what? You, you could end up in a facility very easily because you want your wife up at three o'clock in the morning chasing you down the street when you're running around naked. I mean, these things, these are stories. I've seen this happen and you don't, you don't want her dealing with that. So she's going to have one choice, which is to put you in a place. And maybe you say, well, my, my answer is Smith and Wesson. Okay. Maybe it is, but guess what? <laughs> you don't want to do that to your family. Really? Do you? So Let's talk about the subject today, shall we? Because there's so much to talk about. And the last thing you want to do is end up in probate. Because if you end up in probate because you're still alive and you need a judge to appoint someone to take care of you, which, by the way, that happens through conservatorship, guess what? These things can take forever. I had a client this last week call us as brothers. They um, had an attorney who went through all this with the probate. The dad left a house and some things, no will, no nothing, going through probate. It's two and a half years later. Two and a half years later, they're calling me saying that the attorney's not returning their calls. When they email him or her, they don't get straight answers back. They're just not happy. You know what? I don't blame them. But there's a lot of problems with the system right now. COVID has created a lot of problems with the courts. They're overloaded. They had way too much load. They couldn't process things. And they're a disaster. I mean, that's what's going on right now. So we're working through that. But still, they should communicate with the client. I agree with that. Anyway. It's so important that you get this completed and that you make it not too complicated. It doesn't have to be complicated. When you start the process, there seems to be so many choices, I know that, and you both have to be on the same page when you sign the documents if you're married. So do you know if your current estate plan is up to date to today's problems that have risen over the last three to four years? Do you know if your structure right now is appropriate given the estate tax reforms that are coming in the next few months? We're going to see this this year. The second half will be, I think, filled with tax changes. Coming up next, don't miss this. It's our popular They Say segment. I love this one. Where they say if you have a trust, then your family-owned business will automatically pass to your kids. Is that true? You're going to love this one. Find out when we come back. You're listening to the Protect Your Assets show with David Hollander, the Sandman. That's me. We'll be right back. Now you can hear the show Protect Your Assets hands-free anytime on your smart speaker or Android device. Just say, hey, Google, ask Protect Your Assets to play the latest podcast. Learn more at libertygroupllc.com slash voice. Now back to Protect Your Assets with David Hollander, the Sandman.
Welcome back. I'm David Hollander, also known as the Sandman, and you're listening to Protect Your Assets this morning with the government printing over $7.9 trillion in stimulus. The chances are pretty high that in the next few months we're going to see the estate tax increase as they try and take it to the, quote, wealthy. And if you own real estate in California, you have a retirement account, maybe some other assets, well, you're wealthy, I guess. Uh, so the net effect of this is that assets that you've worked so hard your entire life to build that could be transferred to your children, well, it's going to be really hard to do that because of these higher taxes that are coming. And so more money will, of course, flow to the government, particularly if you are not prepared for this. And that's why today I'm talking about how the rich get richer by using creative legal strategies while they have the time to do it, which is right now, by the way, to pass on more wealth to the next generation because they just do it before it's too late. Now it's time for one of our fan favorite parts of the show, our They Say segment, where we debunk common myths, half-truths, and sometimes bad advice that they say. Who are they? What do they know that I don't? And what are they saying this week? There's only one man with all the answers. And here he is, David Hollander, the Sandman. So here's one they say. They say that if you have a trust, then your family-owned business is protected and will automatically pass to your children upon your death. Well, is that true? No, it just might not be, in fact, first of all. The business needs to be funded in your trust. This is fundamental. I see this all the time where people go through the motions. In fact, this whole show today was started off by a couple we met with this past week who had a binder. Had uh, He was an engineer. I mean, they've, they've been doing things a certain way for a long time to make sure that they're taken care of, their family's taken care of, and they thought everything was fine. Well, it, it's not fine. It's actually a big mess. So... Um, this is this is what I see, and it's important to know that if you have a family business, you need to, to dig into that conversation a little more with somebody who's familiar with that. The situation in this case was they were dealing with an attorney who really doesn't have any experience with family-owned businesses and doesn't know how to put the paperwork together to make it less messy if and when the uh, matriarch in this case passes away who's built this business so just because you set a trust up doesn't mean that your business or if you have a real estate or real estate properties many families we've dealt with in the Bay Area have multiple properties in the city and all around the Bay Area maybe you have a large stock you you're lucky enough to buy Tesla and now all of a sudden it's worth millions of dollars or Apple or something like that. And you have this big trust now full of a low basis stock. You don't want to sell it because you don't want to pay all that capital gain tax, which could become more near income here in the future. But in any event, you don't want to do that. And you're hoping that the step up in basis remains what it is. So when your kids receive it, they don't have to pay taxes on the difference. Well, that may go away. So the question becomes, what do you do with that? And let's just start with the family-owned business. Because let's say your kids have no interest in your family-owned business or your real estate. And I, my, my neighbor next door here is a, has some very nice real estate properties, and his kids could care less. Uh, they have an import-export business. They're doing fine. The three brothers work together. And they don't want anything to do with dad's real estate business, even though it's very successful. 
what happens if something happens to dad? Who's going to run the real estate business? Well, in the event of your death, who will run the day-to-day operation of that corporation or business venture or whatever it is you have going on is super important because let's face it, that business has value today because you're alive and because it is creating revenue every year. But if something happens to you, how do you preserve the value of that business? So if the decision is to sell it upon your death, that you get as much for it at that time as possible. Because if something happens to you and you don't have a plan, I'm talking about a business continuity plan, by the way, these are things that we do, then there's going to be taxes. And there could be a lot of taxes. There could be management protocol problems. There could be revenue distribution problems. There could be a value disintegration. All these things are issues that can pop up if you're short-sighted on this issue. So don't do it. You've worked so hard your entire life to build this company, to build this asset, to build this real estate portfolio, your stock portfolio, whatever it is you've done. Think back over all the time you spent doing it. It's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot of work you put into it. And you have to be honest with yourself. Maybe your family just doesn't want to keep it going. Well, it keeps you going, right? So you don't want to sell it right now. But in the event something were to happen to you out of nowhere, make sure you have a business continuity plan in place that's well thought out with an attorney who has experience in this area that can help you construct something that maintains the value and makes it easy to pass on to somebody else if the sale is what's in order so that your family gets as much of that asset as possible and doesn't lose all your hard work. It's not going to take that long. A lot less time (laughs) for sure than you spent on building the asset. So what kind of trust might you use in this sort of a complex scenario? Well, in my experience, there's a lot of trusts that are out there, many different types. And trust can be good, but they can also be very complex. And that can cause you to do what? To put your head in the sand and to stop. And in a lot of cases, as I was talking about last segment, a revocable living trust is a good thing. But in some cases, like right now, when you have this $11.7 million tax-free estate amount you can pass on to your kids for each of you, an irrevocable trust may make sense. And if you're going to do that, it's imperative to think about which asset you place into that irrevocable trust because the control over that asset is handed over to a trustee. That trustee has a fiduciary responsibility to the beneficiaries, not you. You're the grantor. And that includes today's beneficiaries who are income beneficiaries and also the remainder beneficiaries, the future. These could be grandkids who are living now. And these differing interests can create conflicts. So I see problems all the time pop up when you have a family member, like your kids, act as a trustee and the other family members are beneficiaries. And I don't think in a lot of cases that's really a good idea because it can place that burden on that child and that will strain the relationships with their brothers and sisters in a lot of cases. So you might consider putting the child, say, who likes your business, who's going to keep things going, in charge of those assets. 
with respect to managing them as a manager. But the ultimate decision maker should be, you should think about this, a corporate or what's known as a professional fiduciary. Because that will go with the final decision, by the way, because that'll go a long way in reducing the family conflicts that you're creating by your good intentions of the business oriented son or daughter running affairs, because that's what they know how to do. Well, you know what? Your artistic child, who you love just as much, may not think so. And I've seen many families, I'm talking many, many families, torn apart by money. It doesn't really matter how much you have. I've seen as much as over $100,000 people not talking to each other anymore. When you get into the millions and tens and hundreds of millions, which we've seen in litigation, really the only ones who win on this is the lawyers because we get paid as long as this goes on. It's not fair, but you created it. Coming up next, think your wife will end up with your retirement account if something unfortunate happens to you? Think again. Find out what has happened to others who just weren't paying attention to this one. It always pays to keep it tuned right here. We'll be right back. You can ask the Sandman questions and hear this show protect your assets hands-free anytime on your Amazon Echo smart speaker. Just say, Alexa, ask protect your assets to play the latest podcast. Find out more at libertygroupllc.com slash voice. Now back to protect your assets with David Hollander, the Sandman. David Hollander, also known as the Sandman, because I help my listeners sleep well at night. By answering their most troubled legal or financial questions every single week. And I'll bet the most important thing in your life is your family and your loved ones. And that's why today we are talking about wills and trusts and estate plans and how you don't want to leave your family with a huge mess. And this Tuesday at 5 o'clock we'll be doing more detail. I hope you enjoyed the show today, but we're going to be doing much more extensive detail into the subjects that I've been talking about this morning. So if you want to see that live, go to libertygroupllc.com, libertygroupllc.com. Click on the events tab and you can register for free right there. If you have loved ones, family members who your parents, maybe you're having some trouble talking to them about this issue. You know what? It's a great idea to watch it together. Tell them about it, have them watch it with you. And then afterwards, you'll have some things to talk about. It's a great way to get the conversation Started. Like to wish them happy birthdays. Kyler Gee, Jean Yamashita, and Daphne Russo. Happy birthday. Hope you guys have a great birthday week. Getting back to today's topic, here's some more myths that you might believe that can get your family in some real big trouble real quick. So let's just run through these as we have a few more minutes here. Thinking your will has more power than it does. Many clients I've met with mistakenly believe that their will or trust takes precedent over a beneficiary designation form. That could be absolutely wrong. Here's why. Your broker, your financial advisor who filled out that form, they're not a lawyer. And the bottom line is they don't know what they're doing, even though they talk a good game. A will governs assets in a probate estate. That's it. Accounts or policies that have a contractual beneficiary designation are not governed by a probate estate. In fact, they pass outside of probate. They have nothing to do with it. So you want to make sure 
that those assets are done properly. Last year, I met with a client who had three different 401k accounts from old employers going back over 20 years. When we reviewed the accounts, we discovered his ex-wife, from who he had been divorced for over 15 years, was the primary beneficiary of one of these 401ks. When he dies, his ex-wife would end up getting the entire 401k, even though he's remarried and wants his new wife to have it. Another problem that I've seen happen, failing to plan for contingencies. You'd think a mother would predecease her son. Uh-uh. I had a case where the son was the only beneficiary of a special needs trust, and his brothers and sisters, because there was three children total, were the beneficiaries of a revocable living trust. When the special needs trust child died before his 92-year-old mom, and then she became sick and the mom, she passed away six months thereafter, the two remaining children shared everything 50-50, but the special need child's child got zero. Well, in the paper, she needed to indicate something known as persterpes. No, that's not a venereal disease. It's an order for her son's child, her grandchild, to receive the third as she had intended. She needs it to have that clause in the documents. The family's now involved in expensive litigation and bitter feelings, of course, have now arisen between the family, and that's not good. So here's some best practices to take to heart real quick. Keep copies of all communications when you update the beneficiary designation by mail or online. These correspondence should be kept in the binder or in a file and be marked appropriately so somebody can find them easily. Have them in a safe location. Review your estate plans, including beneficiary designations, every three to five years. There's no doubt that in the next few months, tax changes are going to have an impact on how you pass your assets to your children. We could be talking about millions of dollars that could wind up in the pockets of the government unless you do something about it. I'd like to give a big thanks to the Protect Your Assets team this morning for putting together another great show, executive producer and network manager, Kevin Renfer, and of course my fabulous producer doing the hard work back there, Felicia and Brett. Thank you guys, because without my team, I'm just another pretty voice on the radio. You've been listening to the Protect Your Assets show. I am David Hollander, the Sandman. Go out and make the rest of your life the best of your life. All calls have been screened. Callers should not expect their conversations with David Hollander on the radio or with staff to be held in confidence. And that legal information provided on the air is not intended to be a substitute for callers hiring their own lawyers to advise them about personal legal matters. Proper advice depends on complete analysis of all the facts and circumstances. The information given on this program is in the nature of general financial comment and cannot be relied upon as pertaining to your specific financial situation. California Life Agent number 0B48569. Listeners should consult their own financial advisor or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. The preceding program was paid for by Liberty Group, LLC. The views and the opinions of the host do not represent those of the station or its ownership. You're listening to the Protect Your Assets Radio Network. 